Hello, this is Lynn Brannigan, the president and CEO of She Runs It. Welcome to the She Runs It podcast. We're excited to bring you some of our favorite programming over the past two years, now in audio format. We hope you enjoy it. All right. Hi, everybody. We're going to get things started. My name is Hannah Carnes, and I'm a longtime member of She Runs It. I serve as an ambassador for the organization and also co-chair the Midwest Leadership Development Committee, who programmed this event. On behalf of She Runs It, I would like to thank you for joining today's C-suite with Lisa Roth, the CMO of Target. I know I speak for many of us when I say Target is a favorite and frequently visited store in my household, and I like to joke that our daycare is unofficially sponsored by Cat and Jack. This morning, Lisa will be interviewed by none other than She Runs It's president and CEO, Lynn Brannigan. I'd like to welcome Lynn to the screen to get the conversation started. Lynn? Hi, Hannah. So nice to see you. Thank you very much for uh, the work that you do, Hannah, and your team of Leadership Development Committee colleagues for programming these events. You created such a great discussion guide. You made this job very easy, and I'm really looking forward to it. Let me tell everyone how today will flow, and then we'll invite Lisa to come on screen. I'm going to take about 30 minutes to interview Lisa. My colleagues that she runs it are going to be monitoring the chat. So if you have questions throughout, please post them and we'll pause every so often so that you can ask your question or one of my colleagues will ask the question for you. <clears throat> we're going to speak for about 30 minutes and then we're going to open it up to Q&A. So if there are additional questions, keep them in mind because this is a rare opportunity that you have to uh, learn about the, the career, the life, um, and some inside tips from uh, Lisa Ross. So with that, I invite Lisa to come on screen and join me for our C-suite conversation. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Lisa, great to see you. Uh, thank you so much too. for making making the time uh, to do this. We always love to learn about the lessons from leaders. It's, it's just such a great privilege that she runs it that so many uh, fabulous leaders are willing to give their time to us to talk about their journey so others can learn um, from you as well. Um, I always like to start with an icebreaker question, something sort of fun. And so you've been a career-long marketer. I'd love to know, if not that career, what career path would you have chosen? Uh, it's a great question. I actually haven't been a career-long marketer, which is part of my interesting part of my story is that I had this general management path. But um, if I had not chosen that kind of general management or business path, I was thinking about this. It's such a good question. I think I would have chosen a career in psychology. And I Ooh. think that if I if I had known myself as well as I do now, back when I was making early career choices, I may have ended up in a very different world. But I'm very happy where I am. Great. So I would have been not because I have talent in it, because I don't, um, I probably would have wanted to be an orchestra leader or a chef because I really like putting things together. I've always yep. found that I like, I like, you know, controlling the mix, if you will. Um, I like these but, events. It's great. So when we, when we think about your career, it all really starts with where you came from, family. And so we'd love to learn a little bit about your family, early life, some influences that led you to that career as a general business person and now marketer. Thank you, question. Um, we were talking a little bit before this started about, about birth order. And so part of my story is I am an only child, which I think um, always has an impact sort of where you fall within your family. Yeah. Um, 
And I was raised um, in the second half of my childhood by my mom. So my dad actually passed away when I was 11, which as a girl is a really critical age and just was obviously incredibly difficult. Um, But when I look back at the role that that played or what my, how I've developed as a leader, what the choices are that I've made, I think that that happening to me played a bigger role than anything else. Um, And what it meant was obviously my mom and I continued on the two of us. And so we were really close. I was also really used to only seeing a female leader in my household. She was making all the decisions and I was also starting to make decisions at a really young age. I remember after my dad passed away, we had to sell our house. And Mm. I can recall sitting down at the kitchen table with my mom and trying to decide what to price it at in order to sell it at 11 and her actually listening to me and having ideas and getting those incorporated in. And our, our relationship kind of flowed with that same trajectory from then on. I felt like I had an equal seat at the table. I think she needed somebody else to be there with her and she treated me like my opinions mattered. And so as I went on over time, it felt always really natural to speak up and to have an opinion and to expect for it to be heard. And when I think about leadership, so much of that is about just being willing to put something out there or just take a stand. Um, And as incredibly difficult as that was for me, I do think it played a big role in shaping how I approach myself and my world and my life today. You know, I haven't thought about that a lot. Myself, I'm one of seven and I'm in the middle of seven. And my father died when I was 16. And I think that one thing that happens is you grow up immediately. All of a sudden you grow up and it's like before and after. Right. And you know, it has uh, probably shaped the way I approach everything. And thank you for sharing that. Um, now we look at Target and you've been there for 17 years, which is quite a long time. Um, and that kind of staying power is rare. I think I mentioned to you, I don't know um, many executives who have been at one company for that long. I think of Linda Buff from GE, who I'm a huge fan of. Um, what's kept you there for so many years? And I know you're a person that doesn't like the status quo. So how do you like to shake things up? So what's kept me here for so long has been continual learning. I try to approach my career as a learning journey and think about every job from a perspective of, you know, what can I do and how can I contribute, but also what am I going to learn from that? And what has been consistent and what I've loved about being at Target is that every time I've started to kind of reach a point in a job where I'm not sure I've got it, but I'm not as sure if I'm learning anymore. I've been able to pursue a different opportunity that puts me back in that learning space. And so while that's uncomfortable at times, and I've had to step into roles that I'm not an expert in and all kinds of things, it's been energizing for me. And I think it's it's made me more effective because it's given me the chance to learn about this large matrix organization from all of these different points of view and understand that and think about how to integrate that. So that's what's kept me here for so long, along with the people. There have been times where maybe the learning wasn't happening or I wasn't loving the job. And when those were the moments, it was the fact that I was able to look around and have people around me who supported me, who, you know, challenged my thoughts, but also who I just really respect and like as people. Um, And that that's been just a major 
catalyst for me to stay when, you know, I've had questions or I've thought about whether I want to do other things. As far as challenging the status quo, that that is that's what I that is what I like to do. I like to come into a situation with fresh eyes and say, how can we make it better? I think that if I were put into a job where they said, just take this thing and don't mess it up and just run it and keep it on its track, that would not be the right place for me because it's just right. really natural to come in and kind of think about how you make it better. Um, in terms of how a lot of that is drawing on past experience, you know. We'll talk, I think, later about networks and mentors and kind of getting different perspectives. Um, but I believe in taking smart risks, and I've been practicing that through my entire career. And so I've, it gives me the confidence and the courage when I step into a new job to say, you know what, I think this is working great. This area probably needs to work a little differently or a little better. We're going to try it. And what I've learned is that when we try it, generally nothing has broken and nothing bad has happened, which then fuels my confidence to continue to go into a different space and say, we're going to try something different here. Great. So 17 years was a long time, and I'm sure you've accomplished an awful lot that you're proud of. The industry's changed too a lot, and it's been challenged a lot. So I'm sure that there are many things you're particularly proud of, but could you talk to one or two of those things? Absolutely. So I think one of the things that I am most proud of when I look back is a couple of the teams that I've built. One of those teams is the last one that I left. So my last job was leading the merchandising teams in food and beverage. And I inherited a team there that had been through a lot of change and um, different leadership change and just kind of been flipping around for a couple of years. And um, I was able to make a couple of hires there. So bring in a couple of fresh faces, but then also keep a lot of the great continuity on the team. But my goal there was to build a team that really trusted and respected each other. And when I left, um, that's the place that we were in. It was a team where people weren't competing with each other, but it was actually a genuine feeling of working together in order to build something, which I think, first of all, was really energizing, but also made us better. Nobody has all of the answers in their job. And so when you're able to create teams that actually work together to share ideas, to be vulnerable, to ask questions, I think you get further a lot faster because of that culture that you built. How did you do so, it though? What What is it in you that allowed you to create that culture of collaboration? I think that I lead with a lot of vulnerability. I, I don't have all the answers, definitely not coming into a new job. And so I am just very consistent about saying when I don't know something or asking a question and try to demonstrate that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and nobody's expected to have all the perfect answers all of the time. I think that's a part of the culture. Um, and then it's a lot of one-on-one. -on -one. I really believe that people operate at their best when they are personally confident. And to be confident, you need to know that your leader believes in you. And so I try to spend a lot of time one-on-one -on -one developing relationships and reinforcing, you know, the good things that are happening. And so when you put that together, I think that that personal confidence and then kind of a culture around authenticity and vulnerability, that's when you create a level of psychological safety, which I think is actually the most important thing for a team to be able to take some risks. You need to get people feeling supported, feeling really comfortable, feeling confident in themselves in order to then start to, to share and to lean on each other. And that, that ability to, to to create an environment where your employees are felt feel heard is is really a magical thing. 
So at um, as in my role as the president and CEO of She Runs It, I get to learn a lot about the the pivotal moments moments that changed one's career. It could be a lesson learned from failure. It could be a great success. Do you recall one or two uh, that altered your career trajectory? There is a pivotal moment that comes to mind when I think of a question like that. It was a time when I was in, on our merchandising team. So that's the team that selects the product and um, mm-hmm. does the buying for the company. It's time I was on the merchandising team and I'd been on it for a while. And I was looking around and I saw what it felt like a gap, like a job. It was a job that should exist and it didn't exist. And I went to a mentor who gave me the courage to put that job on paper. And the context here really matters. I was at a personal low at the time. I had just come back from my second maternity leave. So I had two kids under two. I wasn't sleeping. Everything that goes with that was not in a good place. My mom had actually been in the hospital while I was on my maternity leave in some pretty critical condition. And on that maternity leave, Target had a round of layoffs. And so I'd had to say goodbye to half of a team that I I loved, which I didn't know was coming. And so you put all of that together and I came back from this maternity leave, just not sure what I wanted and not excited about coming to work. And I think in part because I was in that place where I kind of felt like I had nothing to lose, this mentor was able to convince me to put this idea on paper and then to share it with people and to share it with people at pretty senior levels of leadership. And that's not something that I was inclined to do was to go out and start knocking on doors and sharing ideas with people I didn't even really know, but I truly felt like I had nothing to lose. And um, it that experience ended up changing a lot for me. I didn't actually get that job. Target did go on to create that job, which was really cool. And now we have that job in a couple of different places. Um, but I did get selected for another job and that job became the springboard for me. It was the job where I got to know all different levels of target leaders across different parts of the organization. I got promoted within it. I got to make huge impact on the org. And I would not have that had that opportunity if I hadn't stepped up and put an idea on paper and shared it with people. It gave me a reputation for being somebody who could challenge the status quo, who could think differently, who could solve important problems, um, which just became a huge shift. So that that for me was a pivotal moment in a lot of ways. It taught me you can put your own ideas on paper and that's okay, that not every job that needs to exist actually exists today. Um, And I also learned a lot from not getting it and, you know, dealing with kind of the failure there, but being able to see that I actually landed in an even better spot. Now, that's fascinating because you really put yourself out there at a time when a lot of people wouldn't. You had two children, your mother was in the hospital, you're not sleeping. Why at that moment do you think you chose to do that? I have a, a, I have very supportive spouse, which is a big deal because I remember I had that conversation with that mentor. And I remember staying late at work that night, like to, late enough that the lights turned out, which is not happening very often. Um, and actually writing it down, getting all the way through it while I had the energy, that momentum that day to do it. And then emailing the people that I thought needed to see it that day. And part of that was wow. knowing that I called my husband and he's like, nope, you need to stay. Like, I got it. I've got these little kids. Like, you need to stay. You need to do this. I know it's important because he got it and he believed in it. So part of it was having the support there. And then 
the other was just considering my alternative. At that point, I felt like my alternative was to leave. After the layoff, I was down. I, you know, I missed these people. I wasn't sure what was happening. I didn't know what the future looked like. And so I was looking externally, but I said, why not give it one more shot at this organization that I have loved and that I think has potential? And so that kind of pushed me over the edge. Wow, great. Um, Christy and Jamie, I know that there are a couple of questions in the chat. Do you want to uh, ask one for us, please? Sure. Um, Lisa Fagiano, can you come on screen and ask your question? Sure. Hi. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Hi Lisa. <laughs> Good to see you. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, my question is about Target the brand. Obviously, everybody loves it. It has a lot of cachet already. You've done such an amazing job building the brand um, so far. <laughs> um, so we're wondering, how do you think about continuing using that brand equity as you start talking to different audiences, you know, like existing consumers, as well as bringing future consumers of all different generations into the fold? Such a good question. I think that is the most important part of my actual core job is understanding how to shepherd the brand, how to grow and develop the brand, and how do we leverage the brand with all the different stakeholders. Um, and we're giving a lot of thought right now to how we evolve it. You, When you have a lot of strong brand equity, you obviously want to maintain that, but you're in a really dynamic environment where expectations are changing. And so what's the right rate at which to continue to evolve the brand? I can tell you it's not zero. We know that we need to be continuing to move it forward. Yeah. Um, as far as how to do that, I believe it has to be consumer led or guest led. We, we refer to our consumers as guests. So I'll do that here. Um, that includes getting feedback on where we're thinking about taking things. So whether that's brand positioning, whether that's creative work that would reflect that brand positioning, we want to bring our guests, our consumers along with that to gauge whether that is actually taking us where we think it needs to take that. I also think it's not ignoring a lot of the equities that have made the brand what it is. I was actually with focus groups yesterday, and it was so interesting to hear how much our guests repeat back to us core equities, like the fact that our stores are clean and bright and organized. We kind of take that for granted. We can't. Like those fundamentals that actually are core to the brand, you need to have strong recognition for what those are fight to maintain those while you're also thinking about where it goes in the future. And so when you talked about different consumer groups, I think you've got, you know, for us, we think about our best guests that know us and love us and shop us the most frequently. We need to make sure we maintain the core equities for those while also starting to introduce the brand to those who might not know it or might not most know it, but might not consider us for shopping as often. Um, and so we're constantly thinking about kind of how we flex it and and show up in the right ways for the right audiences across all those different dimensions. That's super helpful. Thank you. Thanks to your question, Lisa. Um, so now we're gonna we're gonna talk about the importance of building your network. You know, at she runs it, we share the importance of building your network, but also not just taking, but giving back as well. So, how did you build your network? How important has that been to your career? Um, and how do you nurture those relationships over time? It's really important and it is 
it sounds so intimidating. And I will say I am heavily introverted as a human being. That's part of who I am. And so going the idea of going out and intentionally networking or going to an event to try to, you know, speed date a lot of people and meet them is terrifying to me and just sounds like an absolute energy zap. And so while I've done some of those things at times, that's not the majority of how I've built a network. When I look at my actual, you know, I've done some exercises to map my network and figure out where it's the most strong. It is the most strong in the places where the relationships have developed organically. And so examples there would be um, either previous leaders of mine, previous direct reports of mine. I tend to keep those relationships really strong over a really long period of time. So you get to know those people so well and you build trust. It's just, it's just nice and easy to reconnect. And I always learn something from them when I do. I also have a group of, um, we call each other our board of directors, but it's a group of women that I went to business school with and we meet on calls. We try to do it once every other month and we try to see each other in person once a year. Um, and they are scattered all over the country. Most tend to work in kind of retail consumer goods, which or marketing, which I think is just, I don't know if it's coincidence or what, but um, what I love about that group is in addition to the fact that we were friends and we have strong relationships, there are people that are outside your organization that still understand what you're going through and that you can actually talk to about that. And I think that's so important. It's really easy to build deep networks within your own organization, but if that's all you have, then you're missing outside perspective. And so I think thinking about how you balance internal, external, um, in order to make sure that you're kind of rounding out your thought process is really, really important. I used to be an introvert as well, even though I have the opportunity to interview a lot of people who uh, might intimidate me. Uh, but um, but the way I work it is I I try to give and get. So if I see yeah. if I see that they've gotten a promotion, I I or, or they I read about them in the press, I reach out and congratulate them for that. If I see they've lost their job, I reach out and see what we can do to help. So sometimes that where you're really being your authentic self to try to you know give and get can help with that shyness. And Allie had asked a question about does she run to have resources that help you sort of have, create? I'm putting words in your mouth, Allie, a little bit like a toolkit for networking. We do an event each fall called Networking with Notables, and we do a workshop to teach young people how to network with senior executives while senior executives are networking in the same room. And then we they practice on those real people at, in real life. So, Ali, if you want uh, if you want to see the workshop, um, uh, reach out to um, reach out to uh, Kristen, uh, who I, I know you know, and uh, we'll get you that workshop uh, toolkit. And if anyone else wants it. Uh, would be happy to share it with those who are on this call today. Lynn, I think that give and get advice is really strong. And I, when I talk to people about networking, I have really a really similar philosophy. And what I try to think about is even in, if you're going into a one-on-one, -on -one, for example, with a newer leader, you're going to have a lot of questions for them and a lot of things that you want to learn. Also think about what you can teach or teach them or share with them. And there's right. always something you are closer to whatever your function, discipline, area of responsibility is than they will ever be. And they're going to be curious, most likely if they're in a senior leadership position. And so what can you share about what you're seeing or what you're learning that they might find valuable? And what I find is I get lots of requests 
to meet and to network and things like that. And I'll try to meet with anybody at least once. The ones that I want to meet with on a repeated basis are the ones where I am learning and kind of getting as much as I'm giving. Cause that's just, that's super valuable to me is to hear more about what's kind of going on around different parts of the company or other organizations. Yeah. Yeah. Even like if there's a controversial thing, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about Lindy Acarino as an example. It just comes up right now because she's in uh, such a high profile role at X. And uh, when she was at NBCU, she was very involved with She Runs It. We've celebrated her as a woman of the year. And I remember uh, watching an interview that she did. And, you know, she seems like a very confident woman. She's really, uh, she's known for being really prepared with everything she does. Really, she really puts the work in. But it's never fun to be in a spotlight like a spot like she's like she's in now. And I reached out to her and just said, I you know I watched this interview. I was really impressed. And I'm thinking, like, what does she care what I think? But I wanted to let her know that I admire what you know she's doing. And she was so grateful. You know, it's it, you know we're human beings. At the end of the yes. day, <laughs> we're human is. beings. We care about what that people notice some things we've done well, or when we're in trouble, that someone wants to have your back and see how they can help. So, so that. back to. Back to the role of the chief marketing officer, uh, you know, it's a volatile role. It's an ever-changing role. Uh, what does the role entail at Target? Um, and how do you stay nimble in a very dynamic retail world? It's very dynamic, and I don't expect that to change. I think that is that is the new way in which we operate. And I just mentioned that because I think sometimes we tend to talk about kind of going, going back or going to revert to something. And I actually think we just need to think about moving forward in a dynamic environment. The CMO role at Target entails our core marketing functions. And so I have um, media, I have marketing strategy, we have a large internal creative agency that reports up to me. Um, and then we also have social marketing as well as retail activations and visual merchandising. So a lot of different things. Wow. Um, I think what's been great about this role is is being able to bring those things together because to our guests, it needs to feel like one connected experience. And so I think an important part of the CMO role is being able to, again, lead with a guest or a customer lens, understand all the different ways in which they are interacting with your brand, and then determining how to make that experience as seamless as possible across the touch points that you have. And so, you know, if you have a, ga a guest who's going onto your app, in our case, and discovering you there, how do you make it as easy as possible for that experience to translate into or serve as a tool for your store experience? It needs to feel seamless. I think in terms of keeping up with it, I think that's where a lot of the external perspective comes into play, whether that's building a network of, um, I'm working to build a network of people who are more experts in digital marketing space, because that's what's evolving the fastest. Um, you know, meeting with people who are outside the organization who are dealing with a lot of the same things and trying to get a temperature on, you know, where do we think things are going or what's the hottest is also really helpful. Um, and just challenging yourself not to get stuck in, in a status quo, because the way that we do things or the process that we follow, which can be really, really helpful in a large organization, you need a lot of process, but you also need to figure out when is that process helping us? And then when is it actually not serving us to be able to keep moving and evolving at the speed that the consumer and the marketplace is? So keeping your eyes on lots of things at different times and just continually questioning what is still relevant. 
Um, I'm curious as to whether there are internal stakeholders in our critical partners for the role of CMO. As an example, uh, I interviewed Tarek Hassan from McDonald's and he talked about the importance of his partnerships with their chief financial officer and their chief technology officer. Are there internal stakeholders who might be unlikely partners who are very important to you in your role? I think that um, you could look almost across the C-suite and say every one of those needs to be an important stakeholder or partnership in the role. We have, a, as a retailer, our merchandising organization has to be a critical partner. The stories that we're telling and marketing are so much about product, and the merchants are the ones who are identifying and kind of at the leading edge of what product is coming in. And so that's one of maybe the more obvious, but really, really important ones. Um, you talked about the role of the CFO. My finance partner is an integral part of my organization. We need to be consistently thinking about what and reminding ourselves that the work that we're doing needs to serve target. And so as kind of the financials ebb and flow, we need to be constantly reevaluating the investment decisions that we're making. Um, and then technology, absolutely. I mean, everything that we are doing is powered by technology with um, Gen AI continuing to just come in and sort of challenge how we're working. I think it's more dynamic than ever. And so you need to be really closely linked with that CTO role as well. Yeah, really important. Um, I have one more question. So folks, in a, in a minute, you're, it's going to be your turn to ask your questions. But I have one more for now, which is about work, work and life balance. Uh, you have two children, you have a partner, uh, you have a very high pressure job. Uh, what do you do to stay focused and uh, to take care of yourself? This has been a journey and it's something that I was not good at for a while. So I have two kids, um, boy and a girl, they're 10 and eight. And before I had kids, I did a great job taking care of myself. I worked out regularly. I did all the things. Um, and then after I had my first child, it just stopped. Like there was just, it, I just stopped taking care of myself. And then by the time the second one came along, that was like a distant memory. Um, it wasn't until my daughter, my second child was four, that I revisited some of what was going on there. And we actually have a development program that I was part of at Target that involved a coach who served as much as a psychologist as kind of a career coach, which was exactly what I needed at the time. And you know, we believe in taking care of yourself as a person in order to better serve your team and your work. And you need to take care of yourself first. And so he challenged me on why, why I wasn't working out because I kept saying I wanted to do it, but I wasn't doing it. And I just kept saying I didn't have time. And he pushed me hard. He told me nobody has time, which is correct. The extra time is not just existing out there for anybody. So if it's not the time, what was it? And after a lot of back and forth, what it came down to for me, it was not really time. It was guilt. The idea of taking an hour out of my day just for myself, which meant my husband needed to take care of the kids and pick up the slack and work was going to get put aside for an hour. And I was just going to focus on myself was almost impossible for me at that time to, to say, nope, I'm actually going to do that. As I worked through that, I was got to a point where I felt like I could prioritize myself and it might actually be okay. And it might actually be better for my family, for my daughter to see a mom who's taking care of herself, which is what I want her to do someday. Sure. I started doing it. And I just started with really small steps. I got an app called Couch to 5K. I got a friend at work and we used to go walking on our lunch breaks. 
And it just built from there, but it built into a routine and ultimately got rid of kind of that psychological barrier of feeling like it wasn't worth it to put the time on myself. Yeah. Walking meetings are a good one. Not in Minneapolis, maybe. Meetings are great. <laughs> we have skyways. It's great. We can that's do true. it. That's true. You don't have to go outdoors, right? For, no. for That's one of the things that amazed me when, I, when I've done business in Minneapolis, that I can go to a mall from my hotel room yes. and, and never leave. You don't have to go outside. Nope. Also amazed at how friendly people are. I remember being there around Christmas time one year and someone said hello and I thought there must have been someone in the in the store that they knew, but they were saying hello to me. So that was hilarious. Um, That's right. So, uh, audience, is there Christy? Is there someone we want to bring on screen to ask a question to Lisa? Yes, Amanda Cost, are you available to come on screen and ask your question? Yes, um, Christy, I think you have to enable my video though. There we go. Just did that. Yeah. Great. Um, hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us today. You touched on a lot of themes around the evolving landscape. I'm curious, it feels like the scope of expertise that a marketer has to have is rapidly evolving. I would love to hear a bit about what you think a marketer needs to be successful today and how you personally keep up with the pace of that evolving areas of expertise, evolving domain uh, that really is marketing between data, between technology, what it requires to show up for that role. I mean, I think you're exactly right. I think that scope has gotten so broad of what a marketer has to keep up with. And it's it. I have met with people who had this job in previous eras. And the reality is it's a really different job, not better or worse, just different because of that scope. Um, Within my first couple of months on the job, I had to, just as an example, learn about off-platform commerce and get up to speed enough to be dangerous in understanding what that meant for Target and what role marketing should be playing in that. That was not on my radar when I initially started in the job, at least not at the very, very top of the list. Um, I think that in order to do that effectively, you need to listen you need to listen to your consumers and understand where they're at. You need to listen to people on your team. There are people on your team that will be telling you where the puck is going in terms of what's happening. Um, but you need to, to be able to have to suss out those voices and actually listen to what they're telling you. You need to be willing to experiment. Um, you know, I hope as a marketer, you're where your consumer is at. If they're on TikTok, you should be on TikTok, maybe not hours a day, but you should be on there understanding what it is and what it means. Um and wherever that goes next, right? And so you need to be curious is ultimately what it comes down to. And then to manage it well, you need to be able to ask the right questions of the people who are experts and accept that you are not gonna be an expert in every one of those things, which is really tough. You want to be able to do it. The reality is the scope is just too broad. And so you need to have trusted experts, ask enough questions to understand where you need to go and then be able to empower them to do the work. But it's, it's not easy. And I'm sure a year from now that landscape will look some way different than it does now. Yeah, it's super helpful. I love the notion of curiosity, but also having those trusted experts because there is too much to be an expert in all of it. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. Uh, Christy, what's our next question? We have a question in the chat from Kathy Lesky. She asks, how do you balance what competitors are doing to drive customers into stores versus taking a different direction you and your team believe will be more successful? 
that is, I love that question because we talk about one of the things that we're talking about from a cultural perspective on my team right now is conviction over comparison. Meaning, yep, your competitors might be doing all of these things to drive traffic into their store, but your job is to know what that is and then discern what is right for you. And the way to do that is to have a really strong understanding of your brand and your brand positioning. To me, that becomes the filter for, okay, this choice is interesting. We should constantly be studying the competitive landscape and taking inspiration or borrowing the ideas that work. But then we also need to be able to filter out the ones that are not right for our companies and our brands. And so I encourage the team to be a student of the landscape, but also to be a student of the brand and to figure out where do those things meet in terms of deciding what are going to be the right choices for us and our brand. I love that conviction versus comparison. It's a great, that's a great notion. Christy, any other questions? I see a couple more. Yes. Emily Zimmerman, are you able to come on screen and ask your question? Hi. Yes, I am. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Emily. Hi. Um, okay. On the topic of time, I'm so curious how you spend your time when you're not, of course, working or with your family and your two kids. I also have two kids, so I know there's not a ton of spare time <laughs> for you. <laughs> um, but what mediums fuel your spare time? Are you listening to podcasts? Do you love music? Um do you read? I'm sure, you know, you mentioned TikTok and social and keeping up with that pace, but what media channels excite you most, both personally and professionally, looking at this upcoming fiscal and why? I, yeah, there's, there is no time, but yeah, there's a little bit of time, right? Yeah. You find, you find some time to fuel yourself and you have to. I yes. think in terms of mediums, lots of podcasts, and I love the variety that I can get. There's a ton of great, I, I used podcasts to one of the previous questions to just get up to speed on performance marketing when I started in this yeah. job, just listen and absorb as much as I could to get a little bit deeper in that subject. Um, but podcasts can also be great connection to culture, and then they can be pure news and then pure entertainment. And so I have a bunch of different ones that I use for um, all those different purposes. I love to read. I try to very intentionally mix and alternate fiction and nonfiction. So I kind of get my, give my brain a little bit of break. And then I also love audiobooks. I like to walk. That's a way to just get some movement in. And if I get a chance to step away when I'm working from home, especially on a lunch break, I will listen to usually a fiction audiobook because it just gives my brain something to focus. It has to draw the tension away from work and home and all those things. And it just, kind of forces a mental break, which I find really, really valuable. And then in my dream world, I would read actual physical books all the time. But if I do that, somebody is probably crawling on my lap. Yes. They're, they're still doing that. <laughs> awesome. I love the idea of podcasts and that you can take it and audiobooks that you can take it with you really wherever you go. Right. I'm, I do the yeah. same. Sometimes I love that. In the car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just the like, it's your time. Yeah. If I'm cleaning. Thank you. Or something. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, Emily. Um, have you read the book Mad Honey by any chance? I have not. Please do. Uh, Christy actually gave it to me as a, a housewarming gift or actually a gift after can. We had a really great can experience and she sent me this book to thank me for the experience, which is very nice of you, Christy. And I've recommended the book to a lot of people and I find the audio book and the physical book um, both really fabulous. So oh, great. I love it. Fiction, but it will really take you away. Mad Honey, was that it? Mad Honey. Mad Honey. Okay. Uh, so Christy, just giving you a shout out too. Um, so 
Mad Honey is the book, people. Uh, so our time has already come to a close. It's so it's so sad. But it was such a great conversation. I really want to thank you, Lisa. So can you all come off mute and give our beautiful uh, guest a round of applause? Nice. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. So thank, thank you for you. your generosity of your time and your wisdom. We appreciate it. Thank you to the Midwest Leadership Development Committee for recommending Lisa and putting together an amazing discussion guide and background material. You made my job so easy. Um, I want to thank our Corporate Alliance partners who are always, oh, there they are. The uh, So give them a round of applause, the people who put this event together, our Leadership Development Committee. I also want to thank our Corporate Alliance partners who help you all stay strong, current, connected, and included as an employee benefit to your lives and giving you the membership of She Runs It for your individual benefit. And I want to make sure you're aware of our next events. And we're always uh, hosting things, whether virtually or in person. Uh, we have several meetings, uh, virtually our new member meeting, our mentoring info session. Uh, if you don't know what Inclusive 100 is, join us on February 9th, where you really learn about how we're helping workplaces in the DEI space. Uh, we're going to have some fun in Chicago and play poker uh, on the 20th of February. We have our Working Mothers of the Year Awards on February 29th. We'll be in Atlanta um, also to do um, uh, Best of the Badass Bosses. And hopefully that's not February 20th, but March 20th. But I could be wrong about that, Christy. Um, and uh, Night of Networking Unplugged on uh March 14th. So thank you again, everyone, for being here. Thank you again, Lisa and Target, for uh, making yourself available for this really great conversation. Have a good day, everybody. We can take thank your you, Lynn.